Good morning, Celebration Church, and greetings from South Dakota. We are here in the uh, rolling Black Hills, just outside of Sturgis, where they have the big motorcycle rally up on this hill. It's very, very windy, hence the uh, furry creature on my chest here. <laughs> <laughs> to try and keep down the uh, wind noise. But uh, we are here uh, doing an outreach with Jimmy Bratcher uh, in the midst of all these bikers and stuff that come from all over the world. This is not your typical church group, to say the least. But uh, it's a great opportunity for us to just share the love of God, proclaim the love of Jesus in a situation where you wouldn't typically expect to find that kind of a message. Uh, we, have, uh, we got here uh, Friday. And uh, we have uh, uh, three guys from our campus there in, in Green Bay volunteered, William, Christopher, and Glenn. God bless those guys. They volunteered. When I say volunteer, that means they took off time from work and paid their own flights and covering their own expenses to come and just help us out with this event. So God bless them and their families for uh, taking this time to do this with us. Uh, Friday night, we opened for... Uh, Willie Nelson, which was a big deal. A lot of people there at the big stage at the Buffalo Chip outside of Sturgis. Uh, and had a lot of fun just playing and singing and Jimmy talking about Jesus and all these people. It was great. I mean, it's not like a sermon or anything, but just playing the music and talking in between. And the people loved it. It went really, really well. And then, of course, that night, the uh, venerable Willie Nelson came out and, and performed. Uh, the living legend. It was interesting to, to see him, of course, you know, because he's so famous and stuff. But uh, it was, without question, the worst musical concert <laughs> I have ever been into. Hey, get out of my picture. The worst musical concert, some of the musicians there, uh, that I've ever been to in my life. Now, the guy's 83 years old. And uh, by his own admission, smokes copious amounts of marijuana. <laughs> so, so for an 83-year-old stoned musician, I guess it was pretty good. But outside of that, it was like, oh, it was really rather horrible. But people didn't care. It was Willie Nelson, and you know, he's singing all these old classics, or more talking them than singing, going doing a whole lot of singing. But, uh, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then Saturday, we did some other uh, outreaches and uh, going downtown. In Sturgis, that's where most of the ministry happens, where we hand out CDs. We give out free CDs to people, and on there it's got Jimmy's testimony and prayers for the people and stuff like that, so a lot of fun. Anyway, uh, pray for us that we'll have a safe trip back home. We're going to finish up this afternoon uh, here uh, in Sturgis. Jimmy's preaching this morning at a, at a, a church here, and then we're doing uh, some more concerts on uh, Sunday and then Monday, and then coming home. We'll be home. Wednesday. Anyway, uh, this morning, Pastor Bob is going to be ministering to you. So open your heart and uh, receive from him. And uh, I'll tell you all about it, or parts of it, when I get back home <laughs> next Sunday. So God bless you guys. Have a fabulous Sunday morning. See you next week. Well, if we can all stand up together at all of our campuses, guys in Stevens Point, Appleton, Green Bay, those of you online, welcome. Good to have you with us. Let's all say this together. This is who we are. This is what we believe here at Celebration Church. Let's say this. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. 
He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to be with everyone today. My name is Pastor Bob, if we haven't had the chance to meet. Good to be with everyone today. Uh, Everyone's got Olympic fever going on, don't they? Olympic fever. My family, we grew up, uh, we loved the Olympics. I grew up in Racine, Wisconsin, and my grandpa, he opened a gymnastics uh, club called uh, Peppermint Gymnastics. Uh, He was a football coach, and he believed, he loved gymnastics, and he believed that gymnastics was like the core to understanding your your, uh, ability to compete with football, with wrestling, you name it. He was a gymnast, and so we all love gymnastics. My uncle, he uh, was a gymnast. He competed to try out for the Olympics. He was a gymnast at the University of Iowa, and uh, so I kind of grew up in this setting. And I, every day I'd go to grandpa's gym, Peppermint Gymnastics, and they'd have me doing pull-ups, and they'd have me doing sit-ups, and they'd have me doing push-ups, and I, would, I could do back handsprings all across the floor, and I didn't grab one, but there's, there's a picture of me as a little kid standing by my grandma's pool in her backyard going like this, and muscles are just cracking out all over the place. If I tried to show you now, you guys would just be like, no, he's lying, but it's true. And, uh, and so I grew up doing that, uh, going to the gym every day. I, I grew up in kind of a rough neighborhood in Racine, really diverse. And two houses down was this Yugoslavian family. And my name is Bob, and then there was medium Bob, and then there was big Bob, big old stinky fat Bob, the Yugoslavian. And his mom would feed him like 10 times a day. And she would get out on her porch to feed him, and she'd just yell and scream, where's my big fat Bobby, Bobby, Bobby? Where's my stinky Bobby? And she'd yell for Bobby, and he'd come running home to get his food. And so I grew up watching the Olympics, and there's something about the Olympics where you're like, you're like allowed to hate another country, which like is totally not politically correct these days. Like, we grew up watching football in America, so you can, like, hate the Vikings or you can hate the Bears, but in the Olympics, and, like, if you watch soccer, like, in Eastern Europe, you're allowed to, like, hate a country, right? Totally different deal, and so we grew up, like, Yugoslavians and Americans, and so uh, one time, we, I think we kind of dreamed up this whole thing in our heads, but in our heads, the Yugoslavians stole the gold medal in gymnastics from the Americans, and as little kids, we imagine them crawling like into the hotel room and grabbing and stealing their gold medal and walking out with it. That's how we all saw it in our heads. And they had a bumper sticker on the back of their car. It said, number one super soccer star, Rajik Milo. I don't even know what that means, but if you know who Rajik Milo is, I want to know. So we grew up in this kind of environment, loving the Olympics, and there's something about us that just loves watching people excel at something. Just yesterday, I had to watch the opening ceremonies happen, and then the uh, Americans were playing the Croatians, which is like the former Yugoslavia in water polo, and once again, they stole the gold from the Americans. It was heartbreaking, and they beat them. But it's true. We love it when we see a great band. 
If you love music, you see your favorite band play. We love to see musicians because they excel at it if they're really good. We've got great bands at all of our campuses uh, that play our music before the preaching starts, and we love seeing people that are really good at something like that. It's true even watching someone that's just a great parent or someone that's great, has a great marriage, or someone that's great leading in business. Whatever it is, we love to observe people that excel at something, and it's especially true in sports, and nothing compares to watching these athletes that are the best in their sport compete in the Olympics. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians, writes about this idea of what it's like to live a new life as a Christian, and he compares it to what it's like to be an elite athlete. The book of Corinthians was really a letter that was written to the church in Corinth, and this is the capital city of Greece. And Paul's writing to them because this is the home to the Corinthian games. It was second only to the Olympics. This existed at that time, so these people understand what it is that Paul's talking about. He's gonna use this analogy of athletics and how it compares to our faith, and it's perfect for us today. And it's perfect for us because we're Packer fans, right? We get it. We have the best football team on the planet. Can someone say amen? That's right. Like if I was preaching this sermon across the border in Minnesota, they wouldn't understand a thing because they're Viking fans and they don't understand such things, am I right? But you're Packer fans, so I know you'll get it. Just like Paul knew that his people that he was writing to would understand what he's talking about. So we are home of the Packers, we get this. So here's some things about the Corinthian games. Paul was writing to them, they had running, they had leaping, they had spear throwing, they had this like track and field stuff, they had boxing and wrestling, and this year in the Olympics they brought back rugby, and one of the things they had in the Corinthian games was chariot racing. Maybe they want to bring that one back, or racing in armor. Uh, everyone that competed in these games was required to take an oath. They would say, I've trained for at least 10 months, and I will not resort to unfair tricks. They'd say, take this oath. They've done the training that was required. There's some great benefits and prizes to being a winner. They would shout your name, and you would have a parade into your town. They would crown you with a wreath. You'd get paid. They gave you 500 drachmas of money if you won. So you got money. Uh, you got the right to sit at a place of honor at all the succeeding games for the rest of your life. Uh, you were exempt from military duty. And here's, here's the big two prizes that you got if you won. One, your kids received a free education. Anyone want to sign up for that? That'd be awesome, right? I pay for my kids' schooling right now. It's expensive. I'm signing up for the Olympics if that's the case. And you were released from paying taxes for the rest of your life. Anyone want that? That's a great plan. So Paul talks about this, the idea of being an athlete and the Christian life, found here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. It says this, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Actually, Paul, today we don't get that because I got little kids that have played soccer and baseball and they all get trophies these days, right? Someone in the first service said, boo. That's right, when I grew up, the winner got a trophy. Second place, second place was the first loser, right? So Paul's saying, hey, you guys know this. Well, no, we don't know it, but you know, uh, yeah, one person gets the prize. One person's gonna win the race when they run. So he says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, they go into strict training. And they do it to get a crown that will not last. But Paul says, hey, you guys are doing this for something way bigger 
This is more than just training to be a great athlete. This is doing it to get a crown that will last forever. He's talking about living out your faith. He says, therefore, don't run like someone running aimlessly. Uh, Charlie, my five-year-old, this was his first year playing t-ball. And if you had kids ever do that, if you ever want to see people run aimlessly, go watch five-year-olds play baseball for the first time. They don't know what, first base and second base. They got to figure all this out. They run around aimlessly. Paul says, don't run around like somebody that doesn't know what the point of the game is. There's a point to this, and so don't run around like that. He says, I don't fight like a boxer just beating the air. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body. I train myself. And Paul says, so that after I've preached to others, Paul's a preacher. What are you? Maybe you work in a company. You're a salesman. Maybe you're a mom. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're retired. Maybe you're a student. Whatever you're at right now, Paul says, man, I'm doing this no matter what so that I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. You don't want to be disqualified. Paul here is saying, just like you don't decide to wake up one day and run like a world second record setting uh, 400 meter run in the Olympics, right? I didn't wake up and do that today. It's the same way in faith. You don't just wake up and decide to go do that. It doesn't work that way in faith. Uh, To put this to the test, just yesterday, I put on my running shoes, and I got out and ran. My goal was to run three miles. So I got out on the river trail. I'm running. I got my dog with me. We're out running. And I kid you not, I had a 89-year-old man <laughs> pass me down the side. He had to like get up on the grass and get around me. He's 89 years old. That very well may have been his last run of his life. And he's passing me. And you don't just wake up and decide to run. A mile and a half in, I decided, man, I got calluses on my feet already. I'm going to walk home. So I started walking home. You don't just wake up and decide to do these things. It's done repeated over time. But this is kind of odd in our culture today. Because we live in a real instant culture. We got instant mashed potatoes, which are delicious. We've got instant mac and cheese. We've got microwaves. We've got instant access to information on Google. We're in an instant kind of culture, but that's not the way that life works. And it's not the way that our faith works. The Christian life is like a little baby learning how to walk. You ever had a little, if, you had, if you've been a parent, you've seen little kids when they learn to start walking, they get up and they take a few steps and they fall down. And then they get up and pull themselves up on something and take a few steps and then they fall down. And then they learn how to walk without falling. And then if they're going to learn how to run, they get into it and they start running and learn how to be an athlete. The Christian life is like that. It's practice. It's conditioning. Just like an athlete puts in the reps, receives coaching, is physically trained, so it is with our faith. And Paul, in the book of Ephesians, is going to again talk about this idea of living out the Christian life. And in chapter four, Paul writes this section where he's encouraging people to live differently as followers of Jesus Christ. It says this in chapter four, verse 21. It says, when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. There's a former way of life. There's a former way that leads to destruction. And Paul's saying, hey, there is a new way to live. There's a different way to approach your finances. There's a different way to approach your relationships. There's a different way to approach being an employee, being an employer, whatever it is. This arena, the Christian life looks different. 
He says, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Then in chapter five, Paul says, hey, I'm gonna give you some insight on how you can live this new life that we're called to live, because it's not the easiest thing for us to do. So Paul tells us this, in chapter five, verse 15, he says, be careful then how you live. One translation says, look carefully at how you walk. Uh, is anyone in, into the new uh, Pokemon Go? Don't raise your hands. I feel bad for all of you if you're into Pokemon Go. I, uh, I was in the lobby right after it came in church, right after it came out, and somebody came up to me, Joel, and he said, hey man, have you heard about the new Pokemon Go game? I'm like, no, I haven't. He's like, man, it's Pokemon, but it's like on the phone. And he was like all into it, but I have no idea what Pokemon is. I am post-Pokemon generation. For those of you that grew up in the Pokemon generation, let me apologize on behalf of everybody on the planet that you had to grow up with that. But now it's on the phones. And I'm kind of a late eater, and I uh, tend to eat like 9.30 at night, stuff like that. And if you're in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where I live, there's not a whole lot to eat past nine o'clock. So it's like 10.30 at night, it's finally time for me to grab something to eat. And this was like three nights in a row, I'm eating this late, and there's a couple choices in Green Bay. One of them is Hagemeister Park. And it's right up against the river, there's this great like uh, city deck thing, it's gorgeous, right up against the Fox River. This gorgeous restaurant, summertime, they got a great patio. I'm outside grabbing something to eat, and I've done this before. And I promise you, at 10.30 at night, I am the only one out eating. There's nobody in Green Bay out eating at 10.30. It's just me. They all know who I am. And so I'm out eating, and I kid you not, there were hundreds, like probably just maybe over a thousand people right there on the city deck doing exactly what Paul says right here. They're not looking carefully how they walk. They're all staring like zombies at their phones playing Pokemon Go trying to catch a Pikachu. And they're all playing. They, they're walking around like they look lifeless. And they have no idea where they're going. And if you walk around like you're playing Pokemon, Paul says, you're gonna get hit by a moving car. You're gonna walk off a cliff. So he says, look carefully how you live. Not as unwise, he says, but wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The culture that Paul is writing to here uh, isn't a whole lot different than the culture that we live in. The days were evil, the days are evil, and there are streams in culture that if you just go with the flow of life, if you just go with the flow of where culture's going, culture's gonna take you in places you never wanted to go. Uh, just like a river has strong currents, you throw somebody out in the river that's not a good swimmer, or even someone that is, there are currents that can take you to some dangerous places. My mom's uh, biological dad, the guy that opened the gymnastics club, that was uh, my mom's second dad. And they had a bunch of kids. And what was awesome is that my grandpa, that, that only grandpa I knew, loved my mom like he loved his biological kids. And my, me as a grandkid, I was no different than his biological grandkids, man. We were one and the same. It was awesome growing up that way. But my mom's biological dad, she went swimming in the Mississippi River one time, or he went swimming in the Mississippi River, and there was a current called an undertow that grabbed him and he died that day. My mom lost her dad because a current took him in the wrong direction. 
you can get into currents in our culture that if you just go with the flow, it can take you to some really dangerous places in your life. If you simply go with the flow of culture with your finances, I promise you, you're gonna look back in 10 years and say, how in the world did my finances get here? If you just go with the flow of culture in your relationships, if you walk that way, look at where your marriage will be at in 10 years. You will look back and say, man, how did it get here? If you just go with the flow of culture, culture will take you to dangerous places in your life. It'll do that with your faith. If you don't focus on following God, you will be shocked at how soon you will lose interest in being a believer. And that's why Paul tells us here, don't be careless how you live. Don't just go with the flow. Don't be foolish, but be careful, be wise. This is the lifestyle of an elite athlete, right? Like cheeseburgers and hot pockets and pies is not exactly the diet of elite athletes, is it? Uh, cheeseburgers at McDonald's are not the preferred meal of Olympic athletes everywhere, am I right? It's just not, despite what the commercials have told us. Paul says, don't be foolish, in verse 17, but understand what the Lord's will is here. Now, the Lord's will. This isn't some mysterious, like, Lord, what is your will? And you have no idea what it is you're supposed to do, some secret mystery out there. Paul here is talking about wisdom, knowing what to do. And here's the thing. I think you guys in Stevens Point, Appleton, online, here in Green Bay, I think you're really smart people. And I think a lot of times we know what the right thing is to do, but we all got big butts, don't we? We all got big butts. I know what I'm supposed to do in my marriage, yeah, but. I know what I'm supposed to do while I'm at work, yeah, but no one's gonna know. I know what I'm supposed to do with you name it, but. Paul says, therefore, no buts. Don't be foolish, but understand and accept, discern, figure out, find out, and follow what it is that you know to do. Because you know that if you go with the current of where culture's going, that you're gonna end up in a dangerous place. So be careful how you live, not as unwise, but wise. Don't go with the culture just because, man, that's what everybody's doing, or that's what I did last time. You're just gonna keep getting the same results. So here's the question. If you walk out of here today, you remember one thing. Remember to start asking yourself this question. What is the wise thing for me to do? What's the wise thing for me to do? I heard a sermon uh, not too long ago from a guy named Andy Stanley. He's a pastor of a real big church down in Atlanta. And uh, he was talking about through this section of Ephesians, and he took this idea that Paul kind of throws out there and says, what's the wise thing for me to do? And he broke down that question in three dimensions. And I think it's helpful for us today with what we're going through to look at what are these three dimensions of the wise thing for me to do? Because the life and results that you get out of it is a series of decisions that you make over time. It's a series of making the right choices, making wise decisions. Just like an elite athlete. I don't know if anyone watched... Uh, uh, the family night for the Packers. Over 66,000 people show up to watch a bunch of Packers run a practice. Just incredible. And uh, there's a video of Aaron Rodgers. He threw a ball 50 yards through the air through a basket barely big enough to hold a football. 
Like Aaron Rodgers doesn't wake up one day and decide I'm going to walk out on the Lambeau field and I'm going to throw a ball 50 yards through the air through a little basket. You just don't do that. It's because he made a series of decisions over time. It's the idea that Paul's trying to get across to us here today. It's a series of decisions. So three dimensions to this question. What's the wise thing for me to do? The first one is, in light of my past experience, what is the wise thing for me to do? And your past, it's your past. And my past is my past. And our pasts are not the same. We all have past experiences. And if you look back at where you've been and the results of it, and you look at where you're at today, if you start asking this question, man, in light of what's happened in my past, what I've experienced and the results of that, you'll know with clarity what it is that you're supposed to do today. Like, for example, how did it go last time that you went to the mall and you bought a bunch of stuff on a credit card because you didn't have the cash to pay for it? Hope you like the $127 jeans that ended up costing you 672 bucks, right? Because that interest adds up. If you look at what happened in the past, you will know what is going to happen today. If you look at what happened last time when that girl called you up and asked you to go hang out, how did that end? You know what it is that you're supposed to do today. Last time you went out drinking with your buddies, how did that end for you? You know what happened, and you know what you're supposed to do right now. So in light of my past experience, what is the wise thing for me to do? If you wonder why you keep having the same results in your life, with your finances, in your relationships, you name it, it's because you're not connecting this question with what it is that you're supposed to be doing in your life. If you would ask yourself this one simple question, you would know what it is you're supposed to do. Now, the Bible is right. It says you reap what you sow. What you start sowing into your life, what you do, that's exactly what you're going to get back. And you might say to yourself, yeah, I know it, but this time, you know, it'll be different. It's not gonna be different. So you wanna be wise, you want clarity. If you wanna know what you should do, you want to change the history book of your life, ask yourself, in light of my past experience, what is it that I'm supposed to do? Number two, in light of my present circumstances, what is the wise thing for me to do? And circumstances, they change all the time, don't you? Anyone, we've got teenagers at any of our campuses? Raise your hand if you're a teenager. Any teenagers? Yeah, there you go. They all, none of them want to raise their hands. <laughs> okay, you're not going to be a teenager your whole life. One day you're going to go to college and there's this thing called a job that you got to get. And there's bills you got to pay and there's relationships to maintain. Life changes. So what was okay to do when you were a teenager might not be the okay thing for you to do when you get married. What was okay when you're a teenager might not be the okay thing to do when you go off and go to college. So circumstances change. So in light of my current circumstances, what's the right thing for me to do? Any parents, you got teenagers in the home? Parents, don't worry, they're going to be gone soon. Good news. But circumstances change. There's college, there's marriage, and career, and kids. What's the wise thing for me to do? Because it might not be the same thing as yesterday. This can be big stuff. Like maybe, maybe you used to love playing golf like all the time. And then you had a kid, and then you had a second kid, and then you had a third kid, and then you had a fourth kid like me. And you can't play golf like all the time. Circumstances change. This is not right or wrong. Golf is not wrong. Golf is great. 
Golf's amazing. But circumstances change, and it changes the way you make decisions in your life. This can be smaller, everyday kind of situations, like someone just got sick in your home, something serious maybe. What's the wise thing for me to do? Maybe you just got a new house or started a new job. What's the wise thing for me to do? So number two, in light of my present circumstances, what's the wise thing for me to do? And lastly this morning, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? And I know we could probably go around the room at all of our campuses and people could tell you stories on how they've given up on a future hope and dream because of something, choices they made in their past. But life doesn't have to be that way. If you live with wisdom and you say, what's the right thing for me to do with the vision I've got for my life? with where I want to be someday. You can change the course of history in your life. If you stop simply just going with the flow of culture and instead you're careful with how you live, using wisdom, considering, hey, how is what I'm doing right now going to affect my future hopes and dreams? How is this going to affect my kids? How is this going to affect my finances? How is this going to affect my marriage? How is this going to affect how I connect with my church and with God and where I want my family to go someday? If you start connecting the dots, you know exactly what it is that you're supposed to do. What's the wise thing? These three dimensions of this question, looking at your past, looking at your present, and looking at your future and saying, what's the wise thing for me to do? And you will know, you'll have clarity. Just like the Olympics, the way to train, the way to be a great runner is you train time over time over time. The way to change your life is to be wise. So if this morning, if you're here and you're a Christian, this is the Christian life following God and life gets better. If you're not a Christian here today, you've walked in, you're not sure what you think about all this stuff, man, these principles will help you succeed in life, but... Let me suggest, this is a good reason to follow Jesus. This is a good reason to be a Christ follower because we are called to live a life that gets sweeter and sweeter. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up this time to you. Lord, I pray for everyone in each of the rooms where we're gathered today in Stevens Point and Appleton and Green Bay. Lord, and I pray right now that we would be a people that would live with wisdom, that we would know with clarity what it is we're supposed to do. We can look at what's happened in our past. We can look at where we're at right now and where we want to go in our future and say, God, what is the wise thing for me to do? Lord, I pray that people would just continue surrendering their hearts and lives so they'd be closer and closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.